Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. We today are going to talk about communicable diseases. Let's go. This is going to be so good. Uh, I'm not kidding. We really are going to go there. So we, for the past month, have been in this series called Waymaker. And every week what we're doing is we're looking at stories in the Bible that prove that our God is unlike any person, unlike any doctor, unlike any surgeon, unlike any pharmaceutical company, unlike any prescription or non-prescription drug, he can do what no one else can do. That when it appears that there is no way forward, he is able to make a way, that he is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper. We sung it, but every week in the Bible, we're discovering that to be true. And I hope that your picture of God is changing as we're in this series, that you're seeing that God is not against you, that he is for you, that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And I hope that your faith is being built, that you are beginning to see and believe that God is greater and bigger than maybe what you had pictured him as. So often we take God and we make him like us. He's just a bigger, stronger version of us. He's just a bigger man, a better man. And and we kind of put him in this small box, but God is so much bigger than us. God is not in our image Rather, we are in his image. He is the original, he is the designer, and we are the created. And if we can begin to understand the relationship that he desires for us, it changes everything. And so, today, we're talking about communicable diseases. Everyone's favorite topic, right? We all became very familiar with infectious diseases here in the last several years because of good old COVID-19. We saw our whole world get changed overnight almost to where we were wearing masks and shut down and we were quarantining and there were people's lives who were lost in this and there was all of this things that were going on. There's political ambitions. There's the concern that these pharmaceutical companies just wanted to make money on this. And while there may have been truth in all of this, it wasn't very clean. It wasn't very good. But how many of you, by a quick show of hands, got COVID-19? How many of you got it more than once? Yeah, me too, me too. I'm right there with you. There was a time a couple years ago, we would have not felt comfortable raising our hands to that. Do you remember that? I still feel this way. I don't feel like it's appropriate to cough in public. People are like, whoa, whoa, cover that up, boy, what do you got coming out of your mouth? It's scary to cough in public anymore because we were concerned with how does this get transmitted. In the sanctuary here, we had at one point in time moved all the chairs to be six feet apart from one another because we were concerned that if you were within the six-foot bubble, you get in the covid We were concerned that if you didn't wear a face mask, that you were going to transmit whatever you had to others, which that was the misconception. Everybody thought the mask protected them. No, the mask to keep your germs on you. That's how that works. It was to keep them. That's why doctors before COVID-19 wore them, not so that they wouldn't get what you had, so they wouldn't give you whatever they had. So the masks were to be that direction. But there's all this stuff, and, 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 and is it touch, like, can we clean it? What should we do? Um, in, the, uh, in the church world, they had these fog machines that they started to sell. This was like a, a moneymaker, I think, for some people. And so what they would do is they would fumigate the whole place in between services. 
And so it'd be this big steamer and foam and it'd be crazy. And, and so we were all concerned about communicable diseases. But, but we live in the 21st century. Can you imagine what communicable diseases were like 2,000 years ago? Think about how much technology has changed. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have indoor plumbing. They didn't have closed-toed shoes. Like, they didn't have so many things that we have. And at that point in time, if you were to get a disease, how would you even know what it is? This was before the CDC. This is before the World Health Organization. This was before WebMD. Like, you couldn't even Google yourself. Like, you wouldn't know what you had. And so what God set up for his people was he was concerned because there were diseases. So what they had to do in that day is that they would go, if they had an unusual disease, especially if it was on their skin, if it was a visible disease, (coughs) sorry, not an invisible disease, if they had a visible disease, they would have to go to the priest. And it was the priest who would have to take a look at whatever nasty skin disease they had. And and I'm just going to tell you, like, I'm a track coach. I've spent a lot of time with runners. And runners get blisters on their feet. And I don't know what it is about runners, but they want to show you their blisters. I don't know if you've ever had to look at a blister. It's bad enough if it's on your body. But if it's on another person, you have zero interest in looking at it. So this week, I'm hanging out with these high schoolers, and this kid's got a pair of spikes on on the track with no socks on, and I say, hey, man, that's not a good idea. You're going to end up with blisters, and I've never talked to this kid before. I'm trying to be a good coach. I'm trying to give him some words of wisdom, and you know what he said to me? He looked at me and said, isn't it fun to pop blisters? And I said, I don't think we're going to be friends anymore. So if you think of that boy, pray for him because he has some issues. Um, I don't, I don't want to see your blisters. I don't want to see your hooves. I don't want to see the stuff that's happening. I want to know. I want to know that you took something and lanced it. Doesn't that sound horrible? I don't want to know what came out of it. I don't want to see it. And that's why I think God didn't set it up to where priests were volunteers. Like today, like you could volunteer. You could choose to become a pastor if you wanted to. Not in that day. If you were born into it, you are in it. Because guess what? You can be looking at some nasty skin diseases. People are going to be saying, I don't know what this is. What do you think it is? priest I'm like oh (laughs) that looks bad I'm gonna call that unclean get away um and so in the Levitical law they had all these rules like what color was it and what kind of hair was growing out of it and all these things and like you get into it you're like and that's why I'm glad I live in the 21st century but in this day if you were to contract one of these communicable diseases what they would call it is they would say that you had leprosy Leprosy would refer to any of a variety of skin diseases. So today, leprosy is still a thing, but it's a very specific ailment. And that day, if you had any type of skin disease that was constant, it wasn't going away, it was leprosy. And so leprosy was something that when you had this and you went and presented yourself to a priest and the priest said, yep, this is leprous, it was almost as though your life as you knew it came to an end. Because you were essentially put into quarantine for the rest of your life. And at that time, there was no cure. There was no 
fix. There was no cream to put on it. There was no medicinal fix. Like you had this and it was progressive and it would eventually take your life. And so if you can imagine for me in my life, if this was me 2,000 years ago, I'm married and I have three kids and if I end up with leprosy, guess what? I'm no longer living with my wife and my three kids because for me to be around them would allow whatever I have to go to them. And the last thing that I would want, right, is for my three young boys to have a disease that will end their life. And so I would remove myself, I would say goodbye to my family, and I would no longer be in that household. I would no longer attend church services. I would no longer go where the people of God went because I would be unclean. If I had a job in that day, it's not like I could work remotely from home on my laptop. Most of those work jobs were agricultural. Well, guess what? If you have a communicable disease, you are not any longer messing with people's food. You're no longer messing with any type of exchange with people. So not only are you no longer at home, no longer are you not able to be a husband or a father, you also are now unemployed, and you also now have to find somewhere else to live with your broke self. Where am I going to go? Where can I live? I can't be around other people. And so what began to happen is all the people who had leprosy ended up forming together into these leprous colonies because it's better to go through life with someone than with no one. And so these lepers who couldn't be associated with any others, they, they were considered untouchables. All of a sudden the untouchables began to gather with other untouchables. And what that did is it forced some people to hang out with people they would have never chose to hang out with before. Doesn't matter what economy you came from, if you are rich or poor, you're out. You are no longer an insider, you are an outsider. And all of a sudden these outsiders began to have to get over their racial preferences. Oh, I don't like those people, they're from a different place than me, but I'm all alone and they have the same thing I have in common. And so all of a sudden, we began to see these people from different cultures who would normally have been enemies of one another coming together to say, you know what? I feel for you. I understand that you've had to leave your family. I understand that you're on the outside. I understand. And together, they would walk all the days of their life out until they died. Sad, sad, horrible situation something you would not want to be in. And so what would happen after these people found out they were unclean, if they ended up in a public space, what they would have to declare, they would have to announce to everyone in a loud voice, unclean! In other words, stay away. You don't want what I have. Some people believe that they were given bells that they would ring as they yelled, unclean. People would gasp, people would back up. People grab their kids and shield them away. Don't, 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 don't even look at them. Don't touch them. In fact, there's some reports that people would see a, a leprous person and they would take rocks and throw them at him to try to get him away. You shouldn't even be near here. How dare you come around here? So if you can imagine, not only are you dealing with a physical ailment and it's something that's visible. It's not an invisible thing. There's, there's sores, there's things happening. Like It's visible that you're a leper. You're also dealing with the shame of labels, that you've been labeled unclean. And labels 
are a big deal. I spend time with teenagers and I talk about labels. Um, teenagers like to place labels on one another and labels we have to be very careful with because labels lead to identity. And even as parents, if you label your kid, oh, he's just, you know, the smart kid. That kid's gonna act one way. Oh, he's just the mess up. That kid's gonna embrace identity. Words are powerful. And so these lepers have been given a label that they are unclean, that they are untouchable, and they are dealing with a life of isolation and loneliness. It's interesting, Mother Teresa, she once said this, that the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. And if we look at these people who are these lepers in these stories, they were truly unwanted people. We don't want you anymore. You got something that's no good. We, we can't have connection, communication with you. No, no, you are unclean. And, and this leprosy, it wouldn't have hit them overnight. It's not like they went to sleep one night and woke up and their body was fully covered. No, like bacteria takes time to grow and for an infection to take over. And so can you imagine being that person that you came into contact with someone else who had this? Number one, would you not be bitter and mad at the person that gave you this disease? Because there's a person to point the finger at, you just didn't pick it up. Somebody was careless who had leprosy and now you had it. So now I've got a grudge against someone. Number two, I don't know what this spot is on my hand, but I'm going to keep an eye on it, and I'm going to keep it covered up for a little while, and I'm not going to go to the priest until I know, but uh uh-oh, now I got two spots. Uh Uh-oh, now I got three spots, and every day I'm hoping and praying that this will just go away until all of a sudden this is starting to take over my body, and I have to go to a priest, and I have to ask the priest, is this something serious, or is this something that I'm going to heal from? And he says, I'm sorry, you are unclean. Your entire world is crushed. It would have been like giving them a death sentence. How many of you guys remember back uh, in the 1990s, Magic Johnson? Magic Johnson, anybody? Lakers, come on, he's pretty good. Uh, You guys remember in 1991, he got diagnosed with HIV. And at that time, we all thought, that's a death sentence. That's the end of it. Like, Magic Johnson's gonna die. We had players that said, I don't want to even play an NBA game if he's going to be in it because I want there to be a chance of his saliva, his sweat, his blood ever mixing with mine. And so it was a different time. We understand today HIV isn't the death sentence that it was in the 80s and the early 90s. But that's what these lepers were dealing with. (coughs) And so here, we're going to take a look at two stories today. And if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open them up and read with me. First one that we're going to find is in Luke chapter 5. <coughs> Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse number 12. Do I got a water hidden up here? That would be so good. I don't. Yeah, thank you. <coughs> got to love them allergies. Don't you like when your phone goes off now and it's like, Paul, an alert, you're going to have a miserable day. Yeah, that happened this week. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 14. We're going to look at two stories today, and both of them involve people who are in these leper colonies. They are people who have been pushed outside. Their normal life is done. There's no positive uh, outcome here. You're just going to live until this disease takes over your body. And so in one of the villages that Jesus was going through, he met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. If the Bible says that it's advanced, that doesn't mean he had a little rash. Like this was advanced. This was enough that we all knew something's not right with this person, and we could tell it visibly. It was advanced. The skin was 
was not looking good. The skin condition was, was really, really poor. And when the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground, begging to be healed. And this is what he said. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me and you can make me clean. Jesus did the unthinkable. He reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus instructed him not to tell anyone what had happened. He said, go to the priest and let him examine you. Take along the offering required in the law of Moses for those who have been healed of leprosy, and this will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. This is an incredible story. Like, we don't feel the emotion of this when we read it because it's just sentence after sentence, but can you imagine? This guy shows up, and he falls down, and his thing is, Lord, if you are willing, you can heal me, and make me clean. I think that this is so awesome. This man had a strong faith. He's not saying, hey, if you're able to, God, why don't you heal me? No, no, no. He's saying, if you're willing, I know you can make me clean. And there's a few things I want you to take away from this. Number one is that Jesus is approachable. Like, this man didn't avoid him. He didn't think that he would be an inconvenience. There's something about Jesus and the atmosphere that he produced that this man felt as though I can't approach Jesus even with my uncleanness. And number two, I think the thing we got to take from this is that Jesus' heart is for you. He says, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. Like, I don't know, like, what kind of, I know you have the power, but is your heart for me? Would you be willing to do this? And like, I think the leper's got strong faith. He believes that Jesus can do anything. And I love this too. He's not demanding it. He's not saying, Jesus, heal me. I know you can, so just do it. No, he's not demanding. I know you can if you're willing. And Jesus says, I am willing. God's heart is for you. He is willing. He is interested. He knows your condition. He knows your plight. He knows whatever it is that you're struggling with. I am willing. But I think this man's question was even bigger than this. I know that you're willing. I know that you can. Would you heal me? I've heard that you've heard other, healed other people, but would, would you heal would you heal even me? Would you heal somebody that's been on the outside? Would you heal somebody that's been cast out? Would you heal somebody who has no hope? Would you heal somebody who's not sure if you should continue in life? Would you heal somebody who's dealt with suicidal thoughts? Would you heal? Would you be willing to heal even me? I think it's so interesting that Jesus could have chosen to not touch this guy. Like we see healings happen where he didn't touch anybody. They believed and they were healed. He could have just spoken the word, you're healed. But Jesus chose to do something here. And it's so interesting that Luke records this is that he touched this person. When was the last time this leper was touched? I got no idea. 
I'm telling you, nobody willingly touched him for a long, long, long time. And there's something about a touch. Something about that physical contact. And Jesus touched this man, which if I was the leprous man, I would have been in shock. Nobody's touched me. Nobody's willingly touched me. I've been announcing I'm unclean to everybody. And this man who can heal me, I have faith in, is touching me. If there's something for us to take away from this, I think it's this. Jesus isn't scared of your sin. He's not scared of your uncleanness. Jesus isn't saying, no, you're icky, and that's going to get on me. That's not, I don't know if Jesus used words like icky, but Jesus isn't concerned. There's, there's nothing that you've done that is so wrong and so bad and so evil that God won't meet you where you're at and say, I forgive you. I have new life for you. And of course, he gives this interesting thing. He tells him not to tell anybody what happened, but instead just go to the priest and have the priest examine you. Now, this would have been an interesting uh, thing. We, we, we know that if he was made clean, the only way for him to re-enter into society is to go back to the priest. You know, the last time he saw the priest, what the priest said, you're unclean. That's the last time he saw him. That's the last time he was ever in the tabernacle. That's the last time he was ever in a place of worship. Now, I want you to go back there. And the reason I want you to go back there is because he is going to examine you visually and say, you know what? You are clean. You can go home to your family. You can go and get a job again. You can be welcomed back in. No longer do you have to consider yourself unclean. And he told him, just go ahead in faith. Take the offering along that's required in the law for those who've been healed of leprosy so that we can celebrate and praise God. Incredible story. God is a way maker. It seemed that there's no way for this leper to come to Christ. No way for this leper to come to healing. But this man experienced a touch of Jesus. That's story one I want us to look at. What we're going to do is we're going to fast forward 12 more chapters into Luke and go all the way to Luke chapter 17. So we're seeing this happen early in his ministry. People's minds were blown. Jesus can heal lepers. If the word got out to the leper communities, you know what that would be. It would be like dawn of the dead. Like these lepers would start coming out. And like, Jesus, right? And so we're going to actually find that in Luke chapter 17. It's kind of exciting. Luke chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 11 and read through verse 19. And we're we're going to camp out here a little bit. And uh, see, if we can, see if we can be challenged by this. Here's what it says. It says, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, which was the capital city, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. All right, so that's important for us to remember. He's on the border between these two countries that have two different people groups. And as he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance. All right, so we see here's the whole group. There's 10 of them. They've got leprosy, and they're being, they're being appropriate. They're standing at a distance. They're having to cry out to make sure that Jesus hears them. Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. Another translation says, have pity on us. Now, 
It wasn't probably just one guy, but can you imagine 10 dudes? This is like one short of like a football offense. Like they're all yelling. They're like, hey, Jesus, hey, Jesus. They're getting his attention. Have mercy on us. And verse 14 says that he looked at them, which wouldn't you? Anytime a group of men start yelling, I'm going to pay attention. He looked at them. And look at what he said. Hey, just go show yourselves to the priests. Hey, Jesus, <laughs> we, we were hoping you'd have a little mercy on us and pity. You remember when you touched that other guy? Hey, we're open to hugs. Like, <laughs> can we get like some of that healing? He, he didn't do that. He just like gives them this, like, this is unexpected. Wait, 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 wait. You want me to go back to the priest who told me I'm unclean? You want me to go back to that guy? I haven't liked that guy. I've had dreams and imaginary conversations with that guy. I don't like that guy. And you want me to go show myself to the priest? But, but what did they do? And as they went, they just took Jesus' words. They had enough faith that whatever Jesus said, that was good enough. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. That's a cool line. It wasn't when Jesus gave them the command. It wasn't when Jesus looked at them. Nope, there was no healing there. It wasn't when they cried out to Jesus, when they prayed to him. No, no, there wasn't healing then. It was as they went that there began to be this healing. It was as they began to move in the direction that God wanted them to move that this healing came. Now, now the story would be awesome if it ended right there, but it doesn't end right there. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. Oh, little tag here. And this man was a Samaritan. We'll come back to that. Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? It's funny when God starts asking rhetorical questions. Like, did I heal 10 men? Like, he's not looking for an answer. <laughs> Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And I, I don't think that this was said as a, a negative thing, like this foreigner. You know, this wasn't a negative thing. This was more of a sense of wonder and admiration, like, of everybody. How incredible that, that the foreigner, the Samaritan, would come back and fall at my feet. And, and Jesus said to the man, he said, Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. And if you're looking in a physical Bible, you might see a little asterisk there. That that last line, your faith has healed you, literally means your faith has saved you. So let's see if we can break this down just a little bit. Jesus is on the border between these two countries. And there's 10 men in this village. And these 10 men all have leprosy. So there were some people that came from Samaria, and there were some people who came from Galilee, the Jews, and they all had to come out of their communities because of their leprosy. And because of their leprosy, guess what? They started hanging out together. They didn't like each other before. They weren't friends before, but hey, hard times called us together. And so we see that because of these ailments, these men who would not have normally associated with one another came together. 
If God has you going through a situation and an illness and a sickness, just pay attention to who he might be trying to connect you to. It might be somebody different than you would have chosen to connect to. But that's where these men found themselves, and there was 10 of them, and apparently they had heard about Jesus somewhere. I mean, he was kind of a big deal, and if you'd ever heard someone could heal you of an incurable disease, you're showing up. And so all 10 of them are there. They are ready to have an encounter with Jesus. And this is pretty cool because Jesus could have not gone this route to get to Jerusalem. In fact, this is not the route most of them would have taken. They would have avoided going through any place that might have had contact with the Samaritan. But this is important for you to know, Jesus is not just for those on the inside, but also for those on the outside. This is where he chose to walk, which is where they lived, where they were. They didn't have to leave where they were to encounter him. Jesus met them where they were, on the margin. These people who were treated invisible, not shown love, that's the space that Jesus was choosing to walk in. And so we see that these 10 men were seeking Jesus, but there was not healing that came or change that came by just seeking Jesus. They talked to Jesus. They even prayed, hey, have mercy on us, have pity on us. Did the prayer change them? No, the prayer didn't change them. They even heard Jesus speak to them. Go show yourselves to the priest. Just hearing the voice of God doesn't change you. It was only as they began to obey Jesus, that change came to them. Is obedience God's job or my job? It's my job. Are outcomes my job or God's job? Those are God's jobs. So my responsibility is to obey. We are all called to a life of obedience. And when I obey, I can allow the outcomes to be whatever God wants. But this here is where this story gets difficult for me. And this is where the story is a bit of a challenge. Because were the men healed because of their obedience? Was it because of their actions that the healing came? I would have to tell you that the healing did not come because of the men. The healing came because of Jesus. They had faith. All 10 of them had enough faith that they would be healed, that they were all healed as they went. But the faith came first, and I think order really matters. See, if they were just obeying with the hope of getting what they wanted, that's different than having faith and allowing obedience to flow from your faith. See, the proper order of things is for you to have faith, and I believe, and because I believe, of course I'll obey. See, we get confused and we become religious if I'm starting to do activities and I'm starting to work and I'm starting to try to do these things in order to get something from it. As soon as I am working to get approval, as soon as I am working to get healing, as soon as I am working to get salvation, I'm missing what this is all about. My order is mixed up. I am working for something that I can't achieve. It actually has to start with faith. And when I believe God, like these lepers, they believe God was God. They believed Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus could do anything. From their faith, their obedience overflowed. See, I think the challenge in growing up in the church is that I was always taught to do the right thing. I was a really good Christian moralist. I could do all the moral things Christians are supposed to do, and I believed in my head that if I did everything that God wanted me to do, 
then I have to be promised an outcome. That's called working for grace, working for salvation, working for, and the Bible says, no, 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 no. It's not by your works that you're saved. It's by faith and faith alone. And faith is still my action. I have to choose to put my belief in it. And it's from my act of faith that I believe that my obedience is to be the overflow. See, obedience should be an outward demonstration of an inward faith. It shouldn't be that I'm doing these things on the outside to kind of generate some type of belief system so I can get some payoff. And I think as we look at this story, it's so crazy that we see that this is actually happening here with these 10 men. Can you imagine being in their shoes and walking? You know they didn't go in silence. They just got done all shouting together. They're amped up. They saw Jesus. Go show yourself to the priest. And as they're walking, I don't know when it happened. I don't know when they noticed that the healing happened. But I bet it wasn't them looking at themselves. Because like after the age of 30, I don't look in the mirror much anymore. Which is not good, right? Because like I noticed that there's hair growing in weird places like your ears and your nose and they need a dressing. And you know, if you don't look in the mirror, you can't fix those things. But like when I was young, you're always looking in the mirror. Every time you walk by a mirror, you're looking in the mirror. But after 30, you don't pay attention, right? And so if you had a skin disease, guess what you're really not doing? I'm looking at myself. I'm gonna keep that covered up. Let's keep that out of sight. So I'm imagining, this is in my imagination, that they're walking, they're talking, they're going to the priest. You think the priest's gonna remember you? Yeah, yeah, he was like, man, you're real unclean. Like, yeah, they're sharing their stories. And I bet it's as they were looking at one another that they began to see the healing take place. Hey man, your face is looking different. Oh, well, hey, hey, yours is, yours is too. What are you talking about? And I bet there was a moment on that journey of the realization that healing was coming to them. Can you imagine how exciting that would have been? Like, I'm not one to go shirtless, but I would have been taking it off. <laughs> I would have wanted to see what is going on. Is this healing just on my hands? I can't see my face. What's a mirror? It's not even a thing yet. I need to see. I want to know. I want to know that this is real because it's happening to you and it's happening and all 10 of them. Now, you guys know me. I'm pretty quick to cry. I'd have been weeping. I'd have, this guy's so good. Like, I'd have been crying. You know, I don't know. It would have been so incredible. It would have been so emotionally moving and not just that I had physical healing, but the fact that this means I get to come back to society. I get to go home. I don't have to be an outsider anymore. I get to be brought in? Oh, I'm so thankful. And I bet all 10 of them, I bet all 10 of them were grateful for the healing. But only one was grateful for the healer. You ever, you ever bought a Christmas gift for a little kid? You know it's something they want. It's super exciting to them. And you're excited to give it to them. And when you give it to them, they open it up and they're so excited they just run off with it. <laughs> and you're like, hey, that happiness and joy you're experiencing right now, wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me? <laughs> oh, I could have at least got a little thank you. I feel like so often sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God, I'm so thankful for what he gave me. I don't think about him. I'm, 
I'm glad I got healing. But only one turned around to go and thank the healer, the way maker. I wonder if there was a conversation that took place among the ten. Because it said it's on their way. They hadn't yet reached the priest. They hadn't yet got to the place that God told them to go. Jesus told them to go. Go sell yourself to the priest. It was on the way, and this guy stopped. He didn't finish what Jesus said. Now, this is where my little religious upbringing, Christian moralism kicks in. and says, wait a second, you're the bad leper. Jesus told you what to do, and now you're not doing what he said. So it would make sense if my thinking was correct that when this guy showed back up, Jesus would say, what are you doing here? Didn't I tell you what to do? What's the matter with you? The other nine, like, what are you thinking, man? Go back and show yourself to the priest. But that's the exact opposite of what Jesus does. That's the exact opposite of what I would expect for the person who's disobeying and not finishing what Jesus said. But Jesus says these rhetorical questions. What's he say? He says, uh, hey, didn't I heal 10 men? Which, just real quick, I think this is interesting. If I saw a group of 10 men, I would have just saw a group. I wouldn't have known how many people were in it. I don't know how many people were in that group. There was a group of men, and they were all hollering at me. This is something you could write down. Jesus doesn't see groups. He sees individuals. When he gave this command, he knew that there were 10 of them. I don't know if he stopped and counted, but he saw 10 individuals. He knew how many people he spoke to. And so when he says this, this is kind of like revealing what he knew. He said, hey, wait a second. Didn't I? Oh, it was me. It wasn't the obedience. It wasn't the walk. It wasn't the going. Didn't I heal 10 men? Where are the other nine? As in, you're in the right spot. Where are they? Which, if you had to answer your rhetorical question, well, they're probably still doing what you told them to do. Hmm. But he has a third question. Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Of all the people who would return, I wouldn't expect it to be the foreigner. I wouldn't expect it to be the one that's so different. I wouldn't expect it to be the one from the other country on the other side of the railroad tracks that lives a different way. But of all of them, really, it's you. I wonder if when these 10 men were going, they recognized this healing. Wow, look, man, you're healed. Like, you're back. Like, you're totally different. You, you are too. Leprosy, they sometimes talk about how it affects the eyes. I wonder if some of their eyes began to work better again. They were able to see clearly. They were able to look at others. Like, true healing is coming to them. And I wonder if when this guy went to turn, he said, I'm going to go back. We got to go praise him. I wonder if there was a conversation. And if I, and this is my problem with me, because if I was in that group, I'd have been like, hey man, you shouldn't go back. We should finish doing what Jesus said. We got to go to the priest. (laughs) I'd have been the guy that didn't go back. I would have been one of the nine. Hey, you heard him. Let's finish this up. And what would my fear be? I'll tell you what my fear would be. If I turn around and walk back, is that leprosy going to come back? I know what he told me to do. 
I'm obeying. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And if I stop doing what I'm supposed to do, are bad things going to happen to me? See, the problem with me, and, and maybe you too, is that I so often see my relationship with God as transactional. You go to Walmart, you want a toothbrush, you take it up front. They say, if you want this toothbrush, you have to give us money. You get the money, you get your toothbrush. I see my relationship with God so often the same way. God, I did the good thing, I did the right thing, and I did it, so now I expect your blessing. Oh, well, every act of obedience has a future blessing. Oh, well, I want that transaction. Let's make that happen. I don't want a bad transaction. You disobey, you're going to get something bad. Like, when did our relationship with God become karma? That's not Christian. Well, you say, well, there is a transaction that takes place, right? Like, you had to give your life to him, and then he gave his eternal life to you. Isn't that a transaction? And I could say, well, I understand how you would see that that way, but I'm married. And uh, I came, and when I got married, you could say there was a transaction that took place, right? Like, I gave some words, and then she gave me a ring, and, and we exchanged these vows. And so, is my relationship with my wife transactional? Like, if she doesn't do my laundry and make my food, does that mean that our marriage is not good? And I'm unhappy. I'm not going to give her money now. I'm not going to give her what she needs. Oh, you're bad. You didn't do your part. Is it transactional? Is that, is that how good marriages work? All the single people are like, no. Okay? <laughs> we sometimes think of our relationship with God as transactional. Our relationship with God is supposed to be transformational. We have to exchange a mindset of transaction for transformation. He is here to change us. And yes, I gave him my life, and he gave me his, but it's now we're in this relationship. And, and with my wife, we exchanged, actually it was here in this room, we exchanged vows. You know, the whole, till death do us part, richer or poorer, sickness and health. And, and then she gave me a ring that represents the vow and commitment that she made, right? And I did the same thing. That initial covenantal relationship has actually led to us being completely transformed people. I didn't realize how selfish I was until I got married. It's amazing when you have somebody else living in your home that calls out all your stuff. Wow, I changed. I changed m m my life because I wanted, I wanted to love her. I wanted to lay down what I wanted to do because I loved her. And it was crazy, she was doing the same thing. There was this mutual submission that was happening, in which I'm saying, no, 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 let's do it your way. You're awesome. And she said, no, 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 let's do it your way. You're awesome. Oh, this is cool. It was selfless, not selfish. Our relationship with God is supposed to be the same way. And when we look at this story, there was only one of the ten that actually understood that it's not us walking and it's not our doing that brought the healing. The healing came from one person, one person only, and that's Jesus. And I want my relationship with God to be built more on gratitude than I do on trying to get what I want. And there are two different things. I'm not just working to get what I want with God. I am working from a place of gratitude. I am so thankful for what he's done. That's my starting point. 
I am so grateful. I am starting with a place of faith, and obedience is the overflow. Gratitude is to be the foundation of our relationship with Jesus, not an afterthought. And this man who returned to show his gratitude and thanks, guess what? He has a different relationship with Jesus than the other nine. The other nine had an encounter. They had an experience. They got healing, and that was it. They didn't see Jesus again. This guy said, no, that's not enough to just encounter Jesus. I want to know him. And he fell at his feet and he worshiped him. And he was grateful for who he was. And it was on that that there's this relationship that actually ends with Jesus saying, your faith has healed you. It's literally saved your soul. It's beyond the physical. You have a spiritual new life. I want to be like the one who returned. I want to know that my relationship with God is not me working, trying to get what I want, but it's actually gratitude. I'm so thankful for who he is. I'm so thankful that Jesus died on the cross to forgive me of my sins. I am so thankful that he loved me when I did not deserve it. I am so thankful that he preserved my life in times that he should have taken it. I didn't deserve to live. I am so thankful that God was good to me when I didn't deserve it. And from my gratitude, of course I'll obey him. I would do anything he said. I'm in love with him. What is it you want me to do? Of course I'll do it. It's not a debate. It's not whether I want something in return. I love you. I'll do it. I am so, so grateful. As I invite the band to come back, we're going to close today with a song. We don't do this every week. But I thought about these men. There are ten. They had this encounter with Jesus, but one returned. And I want to give you an opportunity to return to the feet of Jesus. To maybe stop and say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for making our relationship transactional. I've been trying to get a good deal with you. I've been trying to get you to pay some things off for me. I've been trying to be good in order to get this. And God, I recognize that's not how you work. God, you want me to be grateful for how awesome you are. So I want to give you an opportunity to allow your relationship with Jesus to change from transaction to transformation by having an opportunity for us just to sing. We're going to sing a song. It's an old song, 10,000 Reasons. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul. And all that is within me. I'm less concerned about you singing words on a screen and more concerned about you connecting with God. I would rather you not sing any words and just say, God, I thank you for and you fill in the blanks with the personal things from your own life. God, thank you for this. And I believe that as you approach God with thanksgiving, Psalms even encourages it. It says, enter his course, enter his presence with thanksgiving in your heart. When you do that, I think that you'll have a whole new desire to obey. You'll have a whole new reason to obey. It's not out of religious obligation and duty, and I have to do it to be a moralist Christian person. No, I do it because I love him because I'm grateful for who he is. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.